A guy asked me last week, what does it look like to be ready? You know, that was our, our, our acronym last week was for chapter 24. Remember it? W stands for what? Watchful. Watchful. That means, that means being observant of what's going on. A stands for alert, which means looking intensely for danger or difficulty to see. And then R stands for ready. And he asked me, he said, what does it mean to really be ready? Well, for a lot of people growing up in the church, who, or maybe you grew up in hearing at a young age, uh, that to be ready, you just had to raise your hand and have your name on the manifest going to heaven. That, that if you've got that done, then you're ready. There was even a song, remember that? Wish we'd all been ready. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that song. It was an old, I think the Gaither, Gaithers did that. I think. Uh, and uh, wish we'd all been ready. And it was actually a wrong interpretation of what Matthew 24 is. Because uh, it wasn't about the rapture. It was really, I mean, Matthew 24 is about judgment. Two's here, then one's taken into judgment. Just like, because it, it references Noah. Remember that? It, one, the first story he told was about Noah, just as in the days of Noah. That there were, there were, the whole world at that time was going about their business like normal. Noah had been preaching for 120 years. And then all of a sudden, God says, okay, Noah, get on the boat. Take your, take your family with you. Eight people out of the whole world. Can you imagine that? Eight people out of the whole world. Well, God says in Revelation, we looked at it last week, that during the, the tribulation period, at one point, if, if it happened right now, it would mean four billion people, according to what the Scripture says, were wiped off the face of the earth within a period of a short time. I mean, you, you can't even imagine that kind of devastation. Four billion people gone like that. that that kind of carnage is going to make people go what but it says that still they did not repent even after all these things are going on but his church ought to be ready and the people of israel should be ready and you got to remember when he's speaking in matthew 24 he's not speaking to the disciples as christians there he's speaking to the disciples as israelites there and he's speaking to Israel. Chapter 24 and chapter 25 are to Israel. And so you got to be careful. Now, there's transferable truths out of that that apply to us as the church. So we can apply the war principle to us, the watchful, alert, and ready. We can apply that to us. But he's talking to Israel. They have rejected him. He came down on Monday on a donkey to go to the temple. Fulfilling Zechariah chapter 9. And, and they were going, Hosanna, Hosanna. But you remember, they were wanting him to deliver them from Rome. And so he goes back to Bethany that day, comes back on Tuesday, curses the tree, cleanses the temple, goes uh, out of the temple on Tuesday, back to Bethany, comes back on Wednesday. And in the temple on Wednesday, the Pharisees go, who, who gave you the authority to do those things yesterday? And just to teach the way you're teaching. And, and so he proceeded to tell them three stories. One of two sons. He told them one of a tenant who had been given the, a vineyard to go and bring in the fruit. And they killed the servant sent by the owner to collect the fruit. Then they killed the son, which was prophetic about what they would do to Jesus. Then he tells a story of the marriage feast. 
And that's a symbol of, of the great feast. Every Jew would have known about the great feast that's going to be in heaven when Messiah comes. And he says, all those invited did not want to come. And so I just opened it up to everybody, good and bad. Morally good, morally bad. Didn't matter. They were invited to come, but there was a guy, even in that group, even in the, the, the people who were invited that weren't originally invited, that decided he wanted to come in on his own terms. And we saw that you can't do that. you got to come in on the king's terms. And so after that, they were so incensed that they wanted to trap him. So they asked him a question. They asked him, well, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And it was the Herodians and disciples of the Pharisees had come together and they hoped that he would answer one way or the other where they could then arrest him. One, if he said don't pay taxes, they would arrest him. And if he said pay taxes, then the leaders of the temple would say, hey, you're worshiping uh, Caesar, a false god. Because that was the whole purpose. You gave tribute. It wasn't really a tax. It was a tribute given to Caesar. And he said, hey, give to Caesar's what's Caesar and give to God what's God's. And they didn't know what to do. And so then they sent the Sadducees. Sadducees go, hey, you know what? There's this guy who got married. He died. And then according to the Levitical law, he was passed down to brother after brother. Whose uh, wife is she going to be in the resurrection? Or whose wife is she going to be yeah, in the resurrection? And they didn't even believe in resurrection. But they're trying to get him to speak to something that they can indict him on within the temple. And he said, you misinterpret. You don't even know the Scriptures. You don't know the Scriptures because it says he's the God of Abraham. He's the God of Isaac. He's not the God of the dead. He's God of the living. And, and that's what he tells them. And so again, he gets by their little trap. And they say, well, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, to love the Lord your God. He tells them the Shema. And then he says, and to love your neighbor and yourself. This sums up all the law and the prophets. It's everything. And, and then he said, um, let me ask you a question. Who is the Christ? And he asked them that question. And they did, it was a riddle for them. He says, how can David say to his son, you're my Lord. How can that be? And they don't understand it. What he was saying is, David did not even see me, but he recognized that I was his Lord. He understood what God had wanted him to do. I'm here right in front of you and you don't get it. And then he pronounced seven woes at that point. He curses them. He, he curses them for being hypocrites. Over and over, five times it says in chapter 23, hypocrites, which means they put on something fake and then, and then he, he condemns them for being liars. He condemns them for caring more about the external than the internal. And at the end of chapter 23, he says, your house is desolate, which is the temple. And in 70 AD, it was destroyed. All the way to the ground. It was completely destroyed. And he said, and I'm leaving you. I'm taking my presence from you. There's this darkness, he says, until blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord is set again. And there's a remnant, according to Isaiah 10, that's going to say that one day in the future. And he's giving that to them right there at the end of 23. Leading into 24, the disciples talk about the temple. And he goes, they go, when is this going to happen? And how, what's it going to look like? What are the signs? And so he tells them there's going to be an antichrist. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be earthquakes. There's going to be uh, famine. And these are just the beginning of the birth pains. He gives them the first three and a half years of that 70th week that Daniel had talked about. It's the tribulation period. And then 
he gives them the next and it's going to be even greater. It's going to be so great. And we didn't go into great detail because Jesus didn't with his disciples. And I gave you Revelation 6 through 18, Daniel 8, Daniel 11, 1 Thess uh, 5 and 2 Thess 2 that talk about that in detail of what's going to happen during that great tribulation period. But Jesus then, after telling all these things, He says over and over in there, you better be ready. You better be ready. You better be looking because you don't know when. And then He gives him five stories. He talks about Noah. And He also talks about a master who was uh, in his house. And when he was in that house, there was a thief that was going to break in. And He said if the master would have known when the thief was coming, he would have been looking. And I used the example, I said, if a guy broke out of Duval County Jail that was a, a mass killer and he was in your neighborhood, you better believe every night you're going to be locking your doors. You probably lock your doors now. You're staying away. Yeah. You are, would be looking to make sure. You'd be looking to make sure. And that's the attitude he's saying you've got to have. He also gives a story of two servants, a foolish and a wise. And, and the, the master says, hey, I'm going to be back in a little while. And he leaves. And the foolish servant says, you know what? He's coming back in a long time. I'm not worried about it. And he does what he wants to do. He doesn't care about him coming back. But the wise servant says, I'm going to keep doing what my master told me to do. And he does it. And we saw that when he came back, he did come back. And what did he do? He rebuked the foolish and he commended the wise. Well, Jesus then gives two more stories to say the same thing. And in all of them, you know what he's saying? He's saying, be ready. Be ready. Well, what does it look like to be ready? Well, we're going to look at the parable of the ten virgins and the parable of the talents. Those are the two stories he tells. It's Matthew 25, 1-30. And as we look at it, I want you to think about this, that God calls us to a readiness that is wisely prepared. He calls us first to a readiness that is wisely prepared. When you prepare to go on a trip, there's two ways you can do it. You can wisely prepare to go on a trip, or you can just wing it. Bud, how many trips have you made to Eastern Europe? Probably in the hundreds, right? Five years. I bet you still prepare before every trip, don't you? You have a routine, don't you? You know what it's like and you take time and you prepare. You don't wing it, do you? But don't wing I winged it one time. I didn't wing it after that. Because you get over there. Listen, you know what? I have a routine. When I go to India, when I go to Eastern Europe, whenever I go to any third world country, I go to Target. I buy just about every medical thing I can buy to have in my suitcase because when you get over to these places, you can't get this stuff. Even something like Advil. And so I have Band-Aids. I have antiseptic. I have antifungal. I have everything that you can imagine that you're going to get over there because you get to these countries, you get a cut, and you can get an infection. It can be really, really bad really quick. So I prepare. So you can be wisely prepared or you can be unwise. And he tells this story about the virgins and there's five that are wise and five that are unwise. And he's making a point. You need to be wisely prepared. The second thing he talks about in the talents is he says we not only need to be wisely prepared, 
but we need to be willingly practiced. You know what that means? Practiced means we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. Willingly. Not begrudgingly. We're taking the time that we have, the resources that we have, and we're practiced at being ready. If He comes tomorrow, it's okay for us because we're practiced at being ready for His return. And that's what He's talking about in that parable of the talents. So let's read the text. We're going to come back and then we're going to unpack those just a little bit. All right? Starting in verse 20, or chapter 25, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flask of oil with their lamps. Now as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and they slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterwards the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one. To each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. And, and he said, enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I've made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and I gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. 
and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. May God bless his word. The fourth parable Jesus tells is a parable of um, a wedding. Now, the Jewish marriage consisted basically of three parts. The first part was the engagement part, or it was arranged by the father and the bride. Now, the, the, the father, I'm sorry, the fathers of the bride and the father of the groom. What would happen is these two fathers would get together and say, well, you know what? Now, I think your daughter would make a fine wife. And the bride's father say, well, I think your father, your son would make a great husband. And so I think we should maybe come up with some kind of deal here. And they would negotiate a bride price for that to happen. Then the son and daughter would usually be included. I mean, we have this misconception that it was just arranged, but a lot of times the son and daughter would be brought into that where they would say, well, I think he's a good guy and I can do that. Or I think she's a good girl and I could do that. By the way, and I was doing the research on this, do you know what the two biggest qualities for the Jewish wife were that they looked for? Modesty and compassion. Those were the two biggest virtues they looked for when they were looking for a wife for their son. Modesty and compassion. Isn't that interesting? And I thought back, do you remember the story in the Scriptures where I think it was um, they, they sent the servant, was it Eliezer that went and found uh, the, the wife for Isaac? Was it, I think, I don't know if that, I think that was his name for the servant who went. And, and what his prayer was, the one who is kind to the animals, who waters the animals. You remember that? And, and that would indicate that that's what they do look for in a wife. Very different from what our culture looks for in a young woman, isn't it? A lot of times as guys, we just look for the curvy body, right? <laughs> Typically. True, right? I mean, uh, and that's why you have, that's why you have a, lot, a, lot of, a lot of issues with that because we don't look on the inside. It's all about the inside. And so I think they were on to something there. Compassion and modesty show a woman who cares more about probably what God thinks than anything else. And so the, the, the first part was these two fathers get together. The second part was when uh, that happened, then they actually had a marriage ceremony where they would be betrothed. And that was just like marriage in their culture. In other words, if during that period of time, they, after they did that, they were not allowed to have sex with each other or sex with anybody else. If they did, they could be stoned. It was like adultery. And so, in fact, you had to divorce after that point, even though they had not consummated the marriage. But then, after they had that ceremony, what would happen is the, the bride would go back to her house, the groom would start working on the room where they would live, which would be in the parents' complex, his parents' complex. They would be working in that little community to build a room around his father's house somewhere. And when the father said, okay, it's ready, you can go get your bride. And only when the father said, it's ready. Then the groom would go to the bride's house with his groomsmen, his best friends. He would go there and somewhere along the way, somebody would spot him coming and they would shout, the groom's coming, the groom's coming, he's coming. And all the bridesmaids that were there with that lady waiting, they would have a general idea when it's about to be done. They would be waiting. Then 
they would light their torches because it was usually at night that it would happen and they would light their torches and it would be like this big processional going through because it was a huge celebration. It was the biggest celebration in the, the Jewish community, right? And so how many, how many bridesmaids are there? There's 10. How many commandments are there? 10. Do you know that it takes 10 people in the Jewish culture to start a synagogue? 10 was a number that Jesus knew had significance to them. So he said there's 10 bridesmaids or virgins waiting. And these virgins, bridesmaids, friends of the bride, five of them were foolish and five were wise. The wise brought oil with their lamp. Now the word lamp, has, there's two lamp words in the New Testament. One means a lamp like you see a little bitty saucer-like lamp that you put olive oil in. That's not what this word means. This word means like a torch. And what they would do is they had like a, a stick that would have um, cloth wrapped around the top that was dipped in oil. And what they would do is, is that that would only burn for 15 minutes. And then they would pour more oil on the rag and it would burn for another 15 minutes. It would burn that oil off. Well, you had five that brought oil with their stick and five didn't. Now, it's dumb to not bring oil because it's only 15 minutes of burning time. And, and so to not bring it means that they really weren't prepared at all. What were they thinking? I mean, really, what were, they weren't thinking at all. They, they, they were only concerned with one thing, and you know what it was? They were not concerned about the celebration of the bride and groom. They were not concerned about honoring the bride and groom. All they were concerned about was, hey, I'm going to be there. I don't care about anything else. So he's trying to give them an illustration here of, of one that they would all understand. We don't get it quite as much because we, we still don't know all there is to know about their weddings and everything, but every Jew that would have heard that would get what he's saying there. It is foolish to not be prepared and not be ready. And what he's saying is, guys, we got to be ready. And I, I just, there's three observations about these, these virgins and this, this, this wedding parable here that I want to bring out. The first one is, the girls all look the same, but they were not all the same. In other words, on the surface, they all had their torches. But they didn't have the, the secondary, five of them didn't have the secondary things they needed to make the torches keep working. They just had an exterior look that was all the same. Only half of them were really ready for the feast. And then when the door was shut, man, what a warning, huh? I mean, it's possible for us to have a lamp that looks good, but don't burn. That's what the Pharisees did, guys. They, they, they had a lamp that had the outside that looked like it was good, but there was no oil on the inside. And it's one day possible that Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. Well, the other thing that I saw in this is there are other, there's some things that you just can't borrow. You have to possess them for yourself. How true is that in the spiritual life? And, and, and I think what happens a lot of times in churches is that people, people try to live other people's spiritual life. In other words, they're energized by their stories. They're energized by their God stories, but they have no God stories of their own because they don't live by faith. 
They control everything in their life. Nothing is ever done out of faith. It's just, okay, I'm going to do this if I can work out the details. If I get the details worked out, I'll make this happen. Guys, I have spent the last 25 years trying to live my life by faith. Not always good. Sometimes I get frustrated. Sometimes I go, wow, I don't want to do this. Lord, I, I, I try to, I'll, I'll do things that I'll try to circumvent God teaching me faith in the process. But what does He say in His Word? The righteous shall live by what? A well-executed plan? Bud, you've, you've spent probably more years than anybody that I know in here on the mission field doing stuff. Only the good stuff comes by faith, really, doesn't it? Everything else, everything that when, when, we, when we push faith out of the equation, guys, anybody can do that. You don't have to have God involved. And this garbage about God will never give you more than you can handle. It's garbage, I'm just telling you. He gives you more than you can handle all the time. <laughs> it is. He gives you more than you can handle all the time. If all you have is what you can handle, you are not living by faith. I'm just telling you that. It's not. And so, there's some things you can't borrow. Second uh, Timothy brings this out. He says in Second Timothy 3.5, they have a form of godliness, but they deny what? It's power. They deny its power. James 2.17 calls it a dead faith. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13.5, examine yourself to see that if you are in the faith. There's just some things you can't borrow. You can't rely on somebody else's spiritual journey to be your journey. And God's grace is one of those guys. And here's the beautiful part. He offers it out for everybody. He offers it. The question is, are you going to be willing to take that step? That step. You know, uh, His grace is something that can't be traded. You, you can't, I can't give you a little bit of His grace here and say, okay, you can have what He gives me here. You've got to experience it yourself. And if you aren't what you profess to be, nobody can help you. That's the bottom line. When the bridegroom comes, it's too late. And, and, and what happens is, you know, some people might look at this and go, wow, well, they were pretty selfish. They wouldn't even help them out. No. You know who they thought about more than, than the people that were in need? is the bridegroom. Because their responsibility was to honor the bridegroom. If they gave them their oil, then they may not have enough oil to honor the bridegroom. So their overarching priority was not somebody else's emergency. Have you ever been trapped in that? Somebody else's lack of planning is not my emergency. I'm going to be directed by what God wants in my life. That's what I want to direct me. Not the fact that this guy over here is bending my ear about something he really needs because of a lack of planning on his part and following God. Now, it doesn't mean I should hate him. And they didn't. They said, hey, why don't you just go buy somewhere else? And you got to be careful with parables. You don't want to go too far into the weeds on them. There's usually one point, and his main point here is what? Be ready. And be wisely ready. 
Okay? Be prepared. And then the third thing in this little part is, this section is, there are just sometimes when it's too late. Too late's a terrible thing to hear, isn't it? You know, you lose your job, and you say, well, I'll try harder, and it's too late. You've already been fired. Even in a marriage, you know what? The divorce has gone through, and it's too late to try to make amends for things that you continued to try to do. The exam starts today, and you didn't study, and it's just too late. That's a terrible thing to hear. And, and, and the really t- bad too late is when Christ comes back and, and you miss the party because the door's shut. And you knock on the door and He goes, I don't know you. Now here's what's interesting about this. I mean, in this parable, He would have known them. The bridegroom would have known the five people that showed up in the door. So he's not talking about a recognition of the fact that they were friends of the bride. He's talking about, I don't know you because you didn't really care enough to do what you needed to do. I don't know you. I don't really know you. All I know is what the exterior of you looks like, but I don't really know you. That's what he said in Matthew 7. But Lord, I did this for you and I did these things for you. And he says, depart. I never knew you. For the fifth time in 25.13, he says, you do not know neither the day nor the hour. And he's reminding them again that you need to be prepared. You need to be watchful. You need to be alert. You need to be ready. And you need to be wisely prepared. And then he goes into this second parable of the talents. And he says, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them. Whose property does it say? His property. He entrusted his property to them. So five talents. A talent was a weight. It's not talking about some kind of uh, personality gift or some kind of administrative gift you may have. He's talking about a weight. And typically it was... When somebody talked about a talent, it was silver. And that was a a talent. One talent of silver was equivalent to 15 years wages. If you take a servant, somebody who's serving in a household, and you give them the equivalent of 75 years wages, are they going to look a little out of place with that money? You think? Yeah, they are. So who, when they go out to invest this money in something, do you think they're going to go, okay, I want, to take, I want you to take my money, or do you think they're going to represent whose money that is? They're going to let whoever they talk to know it's not their money. They're not even claiming it's their money. You know, when you look at your resources, whether it's money, whether it's houses, whether it's cars, whether it's your job, whether it's your talents. How possessive of you of it are you? Whether it's your voice, Roger, for you on the radio. Do you, do you, do you represent it as Christ out in the world? Everything that we have as His children, guys, is His. 
Every talent, every bit of money, everything we have is His. And it struck me, it says, He entrusted them His property. To one He gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to His ability. What happens when you give somebody that can't handle a lot of money a lot of money? Yeah, they, they don't invest it usually very well, do they? They're not responsible with it. And so He's not giving people stuff they can't handle. But He gives one five, one two, and one one. And you look at that, and you know you go, well, that doesn't seem very fair. Have you guys figured out the world isn't very fair? You know, I look around this room. There's some guys in this room that are really, really smart. Some of us can take money, not me, but some of us in this room can take a nickel and turn it into $500 like that because God's given us a gift. Others of us will take $500 and turn it into a nickel like that. <laughs> That's just the way God allowed us to be. And so for those of us who were the second, like me, we're not blessed with a lot of financial resources because we just can't handle it. So God chose according to their ability to give them. And the one who received the five says that once he went out and he traded with them and he made five talents more. And the one who had two did the same thing. But he who had the one, he went and dug it in the ground and hid his master's money. And then he just kicked back till his master's return. You see, because when you invest money, you've got to be involved in the process. You can't kick back. I'm sure it wasn't a one-time deal where he just invested the money. Uh, it wasn't like they had a stock market in Jerusalem, right? It wasn't that kind of investment. It probably was some kind of business. But this one guy who had one probably was bitter because he only got one. The other guy got two and the other guy got five. So he's still saying, you know what? I only got one. I'm not going to be able to do that much with it anyway. So I'm just going to bury it in the ground and kick back and relax. And that's what he did. And the master called him slothful. I mean, he's lazy. Lazy and worthless, he said. And so, he didn't practice being ready. He didn't practice being faithful. In fact, he probably just was bitter the whole time. You know people like that? They're always looking at other people, comparing themselves. Yeah, always, always, always looking. Why does God bless this person and not me? Why does God give them this success and not me? Why can't I have this? See it a lot in ministry. God gives us different gifts. And here's the thing, guys. It's not our talent that matters. What matters is how we use what we have. God is not going to judge us compared to other people. But He will judge us based on what we do with what we have. And that's what He's going to do. Human beings may not be equal in talent, but you know what? We can be equal in our effort. Everybody can give 110%. We're not judged 
for who we are not. We're judged for who we are. And that's really important for us to remember because it's easy, especially in the world in which we live, to compare with people and look at them and go, wow, they've been given this and I wish I had, if I had that. You know how many times I've heard, if I win the lottery, I'm going to fund all these ministries. Do you know how many times I've heard that? And that's simply not true because if that was true, God would give you that money anyway. You wouldn't have to win the lottery because He's going to give money to those people that fund His kingdom work. I mean, that, 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 <laughs> that little phrase falls on deaf ears with me because, you know, I've heard, I literally, I promise if I've not heard it 10 times, I've heard it 20. If I, you know, if I win the lottery, I'm going to give you and your ministry, I'm going to help fund all that stuff over in India. I'm like, don't waste your money on a lottery ticket. Just pray. Ask God to change your heart. And maybe uh, He will bless you to be able to do stuff like that. Well, Another thing I see in this uh, second parable is the reward of work well done is not go to St. Lucia, kick back on the island and relax. It's what? It's there's still more work to do. He says, I will set you over much. He's already made 10. He didn't take that away from him, but he said, I'm going to set you over much. 10. 10, man, that's, that's a lot. 10 talents. One talent is 15 years' wages, man. That's a lot of moolah for a servant to be responsible for. And so, we're not told to kick back. We're told that we're going to have more responsibilities. Uh, the other thing is, in this, we see that the one who's punished is uh, the people who don't try. It's not the people who fail. People tell me all the time, well, I don't share the gospel because I'm afraid I'll, I'll mess it up. I'm afraid I'll fail. And I told you guys what D.L. Moody said, right? When there was a guy who was very critical of the way he shared the gospel with somebody. And he said, well, how do you share it? And he goes, um, because the guy goes, I don't like the way you share the gospel, Mr. Moody. And he goes, well, how do you share it? He goes, oh, I don't. And he goes, well, I like my way better than your way. <laughs> you see, God doesn't condemn us for trying and failing, guys. But what He does is He will judge you if you don't even try. You just bury your talent in a ground somewhere and say, you know what? I'm better off not to do anything than to take a chance. God does not operate out of fear for us. He wants us to operate out of love. He does not want us to operate out of fear. Amen. He says that over and over in the Bible. Fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not. And what's our greatest struggle? We fear. We fear the loss of this. If I spend money over here to do this for the kingdom, then I can't do this over here for something I want to do. And he, he just he doesn't want us to live like that. The man with the one talent did not lose his talent. He didn't do anything with it. He just buried it. And this happens a lot. People who have this, you know, maybe one talent. And so what are our talents? You know what? We all have the master's blessing. We all, if you are a child of God, you have the master's blessing. We have the Holy Spirit. 
We have the gospel. Do you know how many people walk around in the world with no hope? Do you have any idea? Billions of people walk around with what you have and they don't have. And they walk around in darkness. And we all have at least one gift. Scripture's clear. We all have a gift, a spiritual gift that is for kingdom use. And to just bury it in the ground is to tell God, you know what, God? I don't care that you gave me this. I'm not going to use it because I'm afraid. Because the enemy has blinded me to the fact that you really want me to use it for you. Because I've been told that I just need to have my name on the manifest. And so I'm on there and I think I'm ready. And he says also in this parable, those who have more will be given to them and those who have not will lose what they have. In other words, if we have a talent, guys, and we exercise it, then that we're going to be able to do more with that talent. But, again, you've been with me for 25 years now. You've seen me and watched me. Have you seen God grow ministry from 25 years ago not because of special training as it's not really special training is it it's just using it it's using it guys i i you you guys you have to understand i i am a simple man from mississippi you were i a cop. huh you were a cop. i were a police i was a police guy that was it I kicked in doors and put handcuffs on people, and I liked doing it, okay? I did. I thought that was going to be my life, to go get really, really dangerous criminals. I like being on the SWAT team because I like going after the really, really tough guys. I felt real safe in Russia. He did. But I'm going to tell you that... I remember I when I first went to Russia, I came back and I wanted to go be this big evangelist guy like Billy Graham. And I remember going to the church and leaders and saying, I want to teach a Sunday school class. I want to start teaching and I want to teach adults. And they came to me and they said, hey, we, we really need somebody to teach the children. And I'm like, what? Don't you know I was an FBI agent? I can talk to adults. I was really put back by that, to be honest with you. And then God convicted me. And I started teaching those kids. And I taught those kids for a year. And you know what God did? He used me teaching children to teach me how to break down spiritual principles into very simple concepts. I mean, I was already simple because I'm from Mississippi, but I even more simplified, okay? And then in Russia, when you're speaking through a translator to people that don't have this, you've got to be very simple. So what he was doing was preparing and training me in ways that I didn't even know. So guys, every guy in here can read a book to kids. Every guy in here can, can volunteer to help homeless people. Every guy in here, there's all kinds of things that you can do. All kind of little things that you can reach out for the kingdom. The question is, are you burying your talent and not doing anything with it? 
Because if you are, then you're, you're going to hear these words that he said to that guy when he said, uh, cast the worthless servant into outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that means great regret. You don't want to be that guy. Use his resources for him. He has given you a gift to use for him. The question you've got to wrestle with is, God, am I doing it? Don't be the guy who buries his talent. Don't be the virgin that didn't bring the oil. Be prepared and be willingly practiced. Be faithful. Let's close in prayer.